we should start with the mocha pot follow-up. Yes. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Just a little background here. You sent me the mocha pot. Yeah. So this is the mocha pot that I got after we had many enthusiastic listeners defend the mocha pot. You you talked about you had a year of mocha pot trials that never went successful when you were in Australia. It wasn't quite that long because we eventually got a narrow press, but oh, okay. uh, it was like yeah. a couple months though. Yeah. Uh, a couple months like every day using the mocha pot, right? Oh yeah. And then so I got this mocha pot and have uh, I was like I couldn't have been I couldn't have had a more negative reaction <laughs> to like the coffee that I made from it and the feeling of betrayal from my listeners. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's kind of where we left it off. Yeah. Until you volunteered to send me the mocha pot. Yeah. First we offered it to people at our studio comp, but it was like the podcast right before the conference and we uh, didn't get any takers. Yeah. Well, we got some later, but then it got, yeah, it too was late. too late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, you send me the mocha pot. It arrives and I use it. And um, the first time I used it, the coffee was pretty good, actually. <laughs> and I'm like, what is happening here? Because <laughs> like, not only is it, am I comparing it to like your experience, but I'm comparing it to like my own experience in the past, right? Yeah, that's crazy making. Like that is, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, what is going on here? So here's my, I have a couple of conclusions. And you've made it since, like it continues to be good. It, well, no, that's the thing. So uh... yeah, so there is some, there are some details to go over here. Okay. So I made like a regular coffee and it was good. I made a, I actually made a decaf coffee, which I told you, I think, I think I told you was also pretty good. Yeah. So you're you're a decaf at night person. That was a surprise to me. Sometimes, yes. I should start that because I start craving coffee right before bed. I think I'm like, like usually when I'm going to bed, I'm like, ooh, yay, I'll have coffee soon. <laughs> I, I like a nice like after dinner coffee, you know? Yeah, I can see that. But it has to be decaf. It has to. Oh, no, there's no question about it. Yeah. Although I had a coffee yesterday and then I immediately took a nap, like <laughs> within like 10 minutes. So... <laughs> Anyway, go on. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. <laughs> no. So um, then I made a third coffee, and it was not as good. It, it, it was more reminiscent of the experience that I had when I was in Melbourne, which is that kind of a cardboardy, uh, like lack of flavor. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, and and you actually had a a different a fourth experience or a third experience, whatever. That was like you said, it was very bitter and actually like a little gritty, right? Yeah. And I was using the, I was using a very fine espresso grind, which I thought was what they said to do. Yeah, I don't think that's what the like official instructions say to do. But um, interesting. Okay. It's oh, it's yeah. always hard to characterize like what a grind should be. Like it's like, yeah. I mean, unless you have like a measurement tool, right? So, so here's my conclusion. Are you ready? Y- yes. <laughs> so, the mocha pot, unlike espresso machines, doesn't actually generate like that much pressure. I think you know. Yeah. It's not like a real like like nine bars of pressure or whatever right no no the, my conclusion is that two a couple things one is that darker roasts i think are better than lighter roasts okay okay got it and the other thing is that regardless of the roast you do have to adjust the grind to fit the you know the, the device right mm. oh okay so it's not like a one side like you can't just grind whatever coffee and throw it in there yeah yeah like 
it's not like you read a website and it's like do this and then that's the right solution you need to play around with it yeah i mean it depends on the coffee and at least when i make a like regular espresso i have found that like lighter roasts require a much finer grind and darker roasts don't require like a coarser grind yeah and i think the same is true with the mocha pot so i think like darker roasts you can get away with like a coarser grind whereas a lighter roast i think you probably have to grind it finer otherwise you won't get any flavor out of it right yeah okay so that's a little annoying is that you have to like just like with espresso you have to like dial in the the grind size depend if you change the coffee if you don't change the coffee then obviously just use the same thing every time how much are you changing the coffee well i tend to change coffee like every every basically like every week or two really yeah wow. i like to try like different kinds Oh my gosh, I'm not like that at all. I have my one supplier. <laughs> and you get the same coffee from the same supplier? Yeah, I have okay. a subscription, so it just comes in the mail. Yeah, I like to try like different single origins and stuff. So I mean, I yeah, I think this is, I'm, I'm not like, I've realized that I'm just not like that fundamentally. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't like surprises. Ah, okay. I'm a, I, I want to find my, like, local maximum and just live there. Right. Just, like, build a house, like, everything. Just, like, sit yeah. right there. Yeah. Because the experience of having something work. Like, I'll have – my restaurants are basically one-to-one correlated with my favorite dish from that restaurant. Okay. So if it's, like, I want to go there and I want to have that dish. Like, it, it's, like, I want that dish, so we better go there. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not, like, we let's go to this restaurant and see what they have. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes I'll have like two or three, you know, depending on my mood. But it's like then it's a one it's a conditional one to one relation where it's like given the mood, the answer is there. Yeah. (laughs) And like it's really rare that I really branch out from like, oh, I know I like this genre of food generally. It's not like, oh, I want to try this totally new thing just because, you know. Right. Ooh, sounds horrible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and I real I'm realizing this with movies and stuff because I I actually have trouble watching new stuff. Like it can be a little stressful. Like if I'm stressed, I just want to watch something that I know is a slam dunk. So I'll like rewatch shows that I've seen before. Yeah. Whereas if but I've been I've been listening to that bad podcast or the pod I listen to a good podcast about bad movies. And so with that, I'm willing to watch anything, you know. But it's because the podcast is consistent. So it's funny because I'm like, wow, I'm watching all these new movies and I never do that. But I'm doing it because I can actually kind of ignore the experience of the movie. Right. Because the podcast is going to like take care of that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the full arc of the experience will make up for like that's a consistent good time. So (laughs) (laughs) just to close the loop here then. Yeah. On the coffee. I think the mocha pot could work for you if you just like played with the grind settings a little bit more. Ugh. I mean, no, you're, I'm sure you're right based on what you've told me. Well, A, so I was going to ask you, how did you find the user experience of the mocha pot? Oh, not good. It's, I mean, but that's, that's universal. I, I already knew that. Like, I don't enjoy. But this is a different, this is a different device though with its own heating element. Right. Because it's, because this one's electric. Yeah. This one's a little bit tougher because it's like, because it's electric, you can't just like throw it in the sink. Yep. And, or, and just like wash it. So, and like, anyway, so it's a little bit more annoying than your traditional mocha pot because like of that element. But I just find the whole experience very fussy. Um, and uh, so I think by, for that alo- reason alone, and because it's not like, 
really better than the AeroPress. I feel like the AeroPress is a lot more simple. Totally. That's that's where I landed too. And I was hoping with the heating element, you like hit the button and you don't have to watch like the flame, you know. So to me, that was a that was the feature I was going after. But that would have to be designed right where, yeah, you could take out the mocha pot and just like throw it in the sink or like wash it without worrying. But because of the way this one was designed and like the it's not waterproof on the bottom, you have to be like super careful to not get water. And I hated that. That was like... Oh, never mind. This was not worth it. Yeah. It's not, it's not like inexpensive. It was like, it was like $40. Like, this is not a no. fancy machine. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't require tremendous arm strength, though. That is the one upside. For me, it's not arm strength. It's like ab strength. It's like, oh. it's like a crunch that I do every morning, you know? <laughs> For the AeroPress? <laughs> yeah. It's like pushing down really hard with my elbow and my pot holder to like cushion the elbow. I'm actually pretty happy with that solution now, so it's like yeah, it's working. And out. then I kind of like curl my foot to like, like under the kind of like, I have like a like a bar, like a coffee bar thing, mm-hmm. and so I kind of like put my foot and curl it so that I have some like, like something like like pushing against my crunch. <laughs> More leverage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's uh, it's a lot. That's it's. But I'm, I I had a, I actually today making my coffee. I was like, I'm happy this is like simple, and I don't have to think about it. Yeah, I think so. I think we've converged. Yeah, I think so. But are you still going to use it at all, or no? I think I might bring it out once in a while, just for like the sake of novelty of having like another device to use. Yeah, you know? well, it sounds like with your decaf, that's like a. It's actually good for decaf. Yeah, and um, I mean, I could use the AeroPress too. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's fun to just watch it, like, you know, bubble out of the top. So I, I did find that kind of fun. Like, there's a magic element of it where it's like, what? How does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I think, you know, once in a while, it'll, it'll be like a special treat. Well, for you, since you like that, you know, that's worth it. Whereas for me, the risk of it being bad so outweighs the fun. that That's yeah. why immediately I was like, I never want this. Like, it's too bad. Like, Right. Yeah. 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 You'd be sweating it out the whole time, basically. Yeah. It's like, oh, great. I can't wait to have mild anxiety this right. evening. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we got to the bottom of it. I'm glad it has a home. I like I really hate waste. I, I hate throwing out stuff, you know, yeah. like it's. I'm glad it'll get use. Now, I was gonna say it only took us like I don't know how many months to like really finally like like close ca- close the case on this, you know. I know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I agree. I'm glad we got there, though. Yeah, I'm sure Brian Kappa yeah. will be happy to hear this follow up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he was a huge fan of the episode where I, the giveaway episode. Yeah, I think the coffee segment is his favorite one. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It's like a daily, I mean, it's even more, although actually another thing to report is that I finally went to the coffee shop and got some coffee. Okay. And it was actually pretty fun. Like I was into it. So I will probably start going there again. Like they have a really big partition and a good flow and and it's not even a coffee shop. It's like there's this area in my neighborhood where I'm in a neighborhood that used to have a freeway running through it. And then they took the freeway down after the 89 earthquake. And so... They've slowly been developing the different areas. And when I first moved here, I lived in a building that was one of the ones developed on, like, where the off-ramp was. 
since then, so the neighborhood, now I'm like in an older, older house and like near, you know, very near me, there's still an empty lot. It's like the last of the lots that hasn't been developed on yet since 89. And, um, they have all these shipping containers in it. And so there's like little shipping container stores. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. it's a it's a really cool area. And the plan was to start developing on it. So I'll be sad to lose that kind of like, like there's like a space where they play movies and people bring their little chairs out. Although that's obviously going to not happen this year. But, right, um, right, yeah. So this coffee shop is one of the shipping containers. So it's like, oh, wait, what's going to happen? So it's it works really well where you can have one at a time in there. There's a huge partition. And like and it was fun. I, there was, like, stuff on the shelves. I was like, ooh, I can, like, get something. You know, I bought a little, like, spray bottle of stuff. And I was right. like, oh, fun. Like, you had, like, a little shopping experience there. Yeah, like, it was the shop experience. And I was like, I was like oh, my God, I'm so excited. And the barista was just like, whatever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's hard because this isn't my regular spot where I know the baristas. Like, although, gosh, I don't even know if that people those people will ever come back because like they've had to find other jobs. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Who knows what'll happen? I did. I still the the blue bottle near me is also like that. It's in a garage, so you don't have to go inside at all. So I keep being like, they could reopen. Like it, it would work. Like, and it's not even that dangerous. It would be like less dangerous because then. In, in the one I go to called Ritual Coffee, that one's a shipping container. So you have to, like, go inside. Whereas the Blue Bottle's just, it's like a storefront. And so you never even go inside. So it's, like, even less of a chance for the virus to, like, incubate on a, in an indoor space. But yeah. <laughs> linger, you know. But I think, though, that Blue Bottle just has, like, a blanket policy. They're not going to just open, like, one place. So, right. Yeah. Sad times. I still walk to it. Like, there was one time, like, one of the rougher days where I walked. I was, like, standing in front of it. And I almost started crying. Oh. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, I miss it so much. <laughs> so anyway, that's that. I actually had a good segue uh, from the mocha pot discussion. Oh, yeah? Which is that I started reading a new design book that... It was a total impulse purchase. Someone on Twitter mentioned it and like very high praise where they were just like, this is going to be the new like canon for design. Wow. Okay. And it's called uh, How Design Makes the World by Scott Birkin, um, B-E-R-K-U-N. And I'm like not that far in and I'm like, this is amazing. And like it's I'm, I've had like all these little tags of the different spots where i was like i have to remember that um and i'm like 20 pages in so (laughs) (laughs) a lot a lot of dense stuff but what i really like is right out of the gate they're talking about like like defining design finally in a way that i think is accessible i mean that's the whole thing it's like this is really accessible and one thing that they emphasize that he emphasized really early is that like there's always design like when you like building this quote is building things is easier than designing things but when you build something it you still have to design it it's just that it's like the opposite of good design isn't no design it's bad design right um and so the mocha pot's a perfect example of like they had a little bit of a design idea but then they just like built it and like the good design would be to take into consideration washing it but like that would have been more expensive or whatever. And so it just didn't happen. So, like, the design of that object, like, 
was sufficiently bad that I don't want to use it, even though there was a design element of it that was very good, in my opinion. And so I just really like that because it's the same with, you know, like thinking about that with analysis, it's like you have to build something, and so it will be designed. And you, so it's like, it's not like you can just not think about this. Like you are already thinking about how you design an analysis or a data science product or whatever. And so the design thinking is part of it, no matter what. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can't opt and like, out. And I just really like that concept of like, it's a different, it's a fundamentally different skill set than building it. Like, and I think what I've seen over and over in this field is that people brush over the design part to get to the building part. And then, yeah. and, and so, and then that causes all sorts of problems. So being able to design it ahead of time will make you better at the job period. Yeah. 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 And it's like, if you don't, and also it's like one of those things where it's like, if you don't think about it you kind of you just kind of fall into like a default like design which is never going to be it is like a default mode which is never going to be suitable for whatever problem i think you're trying to solve or rarely yeah which is the perfect perfect argument for like not liking null hypothesis testing (laughs) wait uh why because that's the default design that is just like a one-size-fits-all it it's the hammer and so you find the nail like or not the nail you like it's your one hammer so you use it for everything whatever right. that phrase yeah yeah whatever that analogy i mean i think i am one of the and it's the same with the ab testing tools that i still kind of twit my eye twitches because it's the same thing where it's like okay so this we've we've declared that this should be the default design no matter what you're doing right 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 yeah and it just so fundamentally irks me even though you have the opportunity like in these fields the idea of a default design does make sense to some degree because you do want to establish standards for like hey our gold standard is an experiment like an experiment that's kind of theoretically or i don't know i feel like this is where you could use the word epistemology or whatever it is yeah i actually have no clue what it means <laughs> <laughs> but you're gonna use it though well just like like it's it's not quite theoretically but it's like as a as a field we correctly identified experiments as the gold standard it is like the gold standard for inference right right now i want to insert like it's theoretically the gold standard but it's not theoretical it's like true <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Do you see how I'm trying to use an adjective here? <laughs> I'm not sure that I do, actually. Oh. Like, it's more than just a theory that goal, like that the that controlled trials are the gold standard for inference. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, I guess oh, maybe, funny. Maybe, now I'm not sure. I, I mean, I think it depends on the context. Maybe in your context, I think. Yeah, um, it makes sense. But you think, like, let's say eth- putting ethics aside. Oh, okay, sure, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, like, like it would have been easier to prove that smoking causes cancer if we could have done a controlled t- trial, right? I guess in that case, yeah. I mean, I think putting, pra- I guess, I guess maybe putting practical limitations and ethics aside. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and that's. That's more than a theory. That's what I'm trying. It's like. Dare you say fact? Yeah, it's funny because I don't want to use the word fact. And this is where I'm like, maybe that one word. 
<laughs> that I think comes up in like philosophy or something. I don't know. Anyways, I have I have no clue. And it's I've tried to understand it. I'm anyway, I'm so tempted to look it up. You're talking about epistemology. Yeah. Like what does that word even mean? Like what's that concept? To me my understanding is that it's kind of like a it's like a, it's a study of like how how we know things or like how do we think we know things okay so it kind of works right where it's like yeah it's like we we know that in the paradigm of our understanding of the universe like that is a known thing yeah yeah and maybe somewhat validated with evidence although i mean yes of course but I'll, I, anyway whatever and <laughs> it's too early for this. It's, <laughs> <laughs> but again, actually that's a good that's a good point because another like little thing that I tagged in this book, page 17 is that like this means we should resist judging how good or bad an idea is until we clarify the problem to solve and who we are solving for. And so they basically are like the word good design is actually problematic to use because right it's just like yeah design fundamentally is relational to the problem you're solving and so when you say something like good design you're sort of you're making these assumptions about the problem who's gonna first the person who's gonna solve it and then the problem to be solved and so and they go into and this is something that someone actually brought up about our choice of the design thinking book is that you know it's mostly like white men featured in that book and like you know, a lot of times that is a flaw with design where it's like you design something that's really good, but it's for a certain hand size or it's for, you know, there's some generic thing within there. And so it's like it's actually a way to leave people out. Well, yeah, and I think but the phrase good design has kind of an intrinsic quality to it. Right. It's like we can we can we can know it absent any context or any sort of like knowledge of the problem. Well, yeah, but then that's what, exactly. Yeah, that's the criticism is that you assume everyone's like you. It's like, oh, to me, it's really obvious that this is good design. And so it'll be obvious to everyone. Right. It's like, well, actually, no. Um, That's almost universally never true. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I think this is something that we've talked about a a lot in the past, which is that, like, I think it's, it's the same with data analysis. Like, it's hard to know whether a given analysis is good or not right uh but but the like the field of statistics in my experience generally feels that like it is possible to know (laughs) yeah well and the thing and i think one of the hardest things about transitioning from academics to data science is that when you're working with academic scientists there is a certain standardization of the audience you know, where everyone's kind of agreed to the scientific method and and so it's there is a degree of standardization you can work with and that just goes out the window with business, you know? Yeah. Even, I mean, that's not to say like, A, it really is true that if you work with like true artists, like there's just a level of intuitive thinking that is that for me, when I started to experience it, it was completely foreign, you know? It was just like, oh my gosh, like, I, I see how you're coming to conclusions, but, or I see that the conclusions you come to are right, but the path you took to get there is like really difficult for me to understand, right? 
Mm-hmm. And and that came up because I think about outfits all the time. That's come up a lot with outfits where like I always try to get formulaic about them where I'm like, okay, I need three colors and four is too many. And then I do this and that. And like, you know, so I, I approach it and I've had to learn to become more intuitive with it and just be like, this is art. And like, let me think about the way that it, it the whole thing impacts me. And then I think intuitive artists, they kind of just are always there's like so many micro decisions that are happening where they're processing things intuitively and like going toward the right solution. And then it's like later you can look back and be like, Oh yeah, I see how they might've thought about this principle or like understood this principle in like inherently. Whereas I would have to use the logic to get there anyway. It's, and that's not to say like, I'm not trying to say that like artists aren't scientific or, you know, it's just like, it's just a really different way of parsing the world. Um, that like I've, a, that I didn't have exposure to, and I really respect, and I see how my lack of it is like limiting, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Do you, uh, based on the first twenty pages, do you recommend reading this book? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we could do. Should we talk about it in in greater detail in the future? I know. Should we do a book club? I mean, I. I'm up for it. I'm up for it. And it's like, what are we doing right now anyway? Like, (laughs) it's like anyone who's listening is probably not someone dealing with like, you know, some crazy home situation or maybe they are and this is their escape. But like, I feel like probably our loyal, loyal listeners right now are people who are like alone and bored. (laughs) (laughs) Although you're, you're like overwhelmed at home to some degree. This is my, this is my escape. Yeah. This is your escape. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, I wouldn't say that you're super overwhelmed, but you're spending a substantial amount of time with like childcare. Like, yeah, I wouldn't, no, I'm not incredibly overwhelmed, but it's a, it is a challenge. But you have one kid, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's not nearly as bad as it could be. Yeah. And he's like at the age where he's moderately (laughs) self-sufficient. Exactly. Right. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't get up at like five in the morning anymore. So that's kind of nice. Oh yeah. That's. How long does that phase last? Yeah, I, I don't even remember. It's like... <laughs> it's just this black hole of your life. It's, it feels like a while. I think, it, yeah, it was a while. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. All right, yeah, I got I just got the book, so I'm going to read it. Like, did you just buy it while we were talking? Yeah. It, that, that's how the internet works these days. It's amazing. You can just, like, click on things. Although now I'm like, I actually have been buying stuff from this uh, site, bookshop.org. Um, that it's like a way of buying from independent bookstores rather than Amazon. Um, so they have some like profit sharing thing where it's like the experience is just like online shopping, but then they distribute the profits in a way that like supports local bookstores. So, Oh, I see. But you're talking about physical books though, right? Oh yeah. Oh, you bought, yeah, I bought the physical. Okay. I didn't do that for the first design thinking book club and I kind of regret it. Like I think... I think for this type of thing, I want to be able to leaf through it and highlight and, you know, have my little sticky tabs. So Have a real physical experience. Yeah, exactly. So Anything, anything else in this for the moment? I mean, well, there's a part that I would rather wait until you read it. But there's a really interesting part where he goes into why good design isn't incentivized institutionally. Um, I like see. Like, if you... If you decouple the person making the purchasing decision from the user it's like a really uh it's very easy to stray from good design because 
you'll only hear if it's a bad design from people complaining and unless it like gets to a critical mass you might not care um i see okay yeah whereas if the person using it is making the decision like they'll probably be way more focused on good design right Um, yeah yeah so that was sort of interesting and we should talk about that more but okay and I think, again, that's my issue with A-B testing things is that usually the person building it is not exactly the user. And then they're just taking feature requests and they might not have an idea how to prioritize it. And it, So, yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, let's do it next time. How's that? Yeah. Is that, that, is that too good. ambitious? or? Wait, should we do the whole book or should we? I feel like we should do the chapter by chapter. But there's like 30 chapters in this book. <laughs> okay. We could do chunks of chapters. Like, How long is it? It doesn't look like it's that long. Is it long? I, I feel like we blow we blew through the negotiation one and I sort of wish we'd spent more time because that to me that still is like such a brilliant paradigm for talking about analysis. All right. Well how about we spend an indeterminate number of episodes on, on it? Yeah, we'll we'll go figure it out okay. and communicate with people. Okay. After that. <laughs> yeah. We can do a mini episode where we're just like How about this? Because I know there were some people who are not like maybe the biggest fans of the book clubs in the past <laughs> not to criticize our own audience because i think you know everyone's got different tastes but what we'll yeah. do is we'll, we'll save it for the end of the episode so like if you don't want to listen to it like there's nothing afterwards so okay yeah that sounds good that sounds good yeah all right i, I actually have one thing i wanted to mention that came up today like literally today okay this morning. yeah because i was uh i don't know what my point is but maybe you can figure it out for me <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is why we talk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was so I'm re- I was like building like a little package, like a really small R package, just to do like one thing. Because like I, so there, the long story is that there used to be this package that I maintained for doing these kind of like hierarchical models uh, that are very common in like air pollution studies, and so like quite a few people in like the in my community u- used it. Um, but the flaw of the package, so to speak, was that it was written in Cobalt. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, but cl- close to it, it was written in Fortran. All right, so okay, yeah. So it should become clear at this point that I did not write this package, right? So, I, well, I didn't write the underlying code, right? So it was originally a Fortran program, and uh, way back in the day, I emailed the original author. I'm like, hey, can I make this an R package? And he's like, sure, no problem. And so I made it into an R package using, and it called the Fortran code. Mm-hmm. And which was fine for like years to the point where like Cran started cracking down on like compiler errors and like, you know, so one time I got him to fix, you know, something because I don't know how to program in Fortran, right? And so, um, and then it was like there were more errors. And finally, it was like, I can't maintain this because I, I don't know how to program in the language that it's written in, right? Right. Yeah. So, you know, so I got kicked off Cran. So, which is fine with me because you can still install it from GitHub. And as long as you have a Fortran compiler, it's fine. You know, it still works. But, of course, many people don't have a Fortran compiler. So, like, a lot of people who used to use the package are like, where is this thing? And I can't install it. So, so now I'm thinking, like, okay, well, maybe I could just write a replacement. Because it wouldn't, like, the algorithm is not, like, super complicated. I could just write a replacement that doesn't require, you know, calling a language from this, you know, from the 60s or whatever. Um, so, I've started, like, okay, let's, let's make, like, a minimal package to kind of, like, replace some of this functionality. Or, or to clone, so to speak, this functionality. And, I'm, you know, I'm writing the code. And I, I'm about to call like the, the as underscore tibble function. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You like convert something into a tibble. I use it all the time. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, but if I call that function, I'm going to have to like import the tidyverse to this package. Mm-hmm. 
and it takes forever. Oh my god. Well, it gave me pause. I yeah. Have to say. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it was like I kind of felt like I want to like screw in this screw, but before I do that, I need to like pull up an entire hardware store. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, do you have to? Do you have to? Can't you just use the one function if you do tidyvert like as Tibble? Is there a Tibble? I think there's just a Tibble package. So can you do Tibble colon colon as Tibble? And then it doesn't have to load the whole thing. Well, yeah. So I think I probably could just import the Tibble package. But now I want to know, like, what does that depend on? Because it could just it similarly um, kind of bring on a whole series of dependencies. Yeah. No, this is a big... Actually, I was just dealing with this at work because they they implemented this new paradigm for running models where you have to build a container from scratch and nothing comes pre-installed and it was i mean this was immediately like everyone was complaining because <laughs> you had to install the whole tidyverse for like every every time you ran a workflow yeah. and it's like it was really hard to debug it'd be like 10 minutes of this was just installing packages right and yeah it's just like i need to run this and i know that the code takes like like a minute once it's like loaded right. up yeah and so like i need to iterate quickly to get and it's it was especially bad because it was it was like um addressing tech debt it wasn't even like new work you know right <laughs> and so it's like i want this done absolutely as fast as possible um and they immediately were like okay we're gonna pre-install some stuff like <laughs> you're right <laughs> thank you yeah so well the irony is like this package that i already already depended on this other package called Greta, which is like a package for doing um, kind of like a Stan kind of mm-hmm. package we're doing for like Markup Chain Monte Carlo, which is which <laughs> that package alone, like just to load that package it takes about like five seconds on my computer. Right. So because it like depends on TensorFlow and like, mm-hmm. anyway, the yeah. whole thing's a nightmare, right? <laughs> I wanted to write like 10 lines, like literally the function I wrote had is about 15 lines of code, but... <laughs> Like the amount of code I need to import to run it is like it's fifteen lines of UI code essentially. Yeah. But like it's like UI wrappers for like huge things. Yeah. Well, so the the tidyverse I didn't need, so I just like I was like I'm not importing the tidyverse, right? So yeah. I for just it's like two functions. So I just like so I just used like the base functions. Yeah. yeah. And it was fine. Um, the other thing I kind of have to, I, I mean, I need there's not really a great replacement for it. So, but um. The point is my point. So here's my point. Um, I feel like I've seen a little, dis- little kind of rumblings about this on Twitter a little bit and kind of here and there, about how like there's like a de- there's like a the t- dependencies are kind of like out of control now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. And and not that there's an it, it's not like anyone did anything wrong, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think the nature of this of the R package system is that it's like this. Not like it's someone on top saying, here's what everyone's going to do, right? So um, there's no, like, direction. Um, and so I wonder if we're going to enter at a period where it's, like, where there's some effort to kind of, like, minimize dependencies in some sense, right? Well, I mean, I think this is, like, if you go to the base R versus, versus quote-unquote, tidyverse thing, this is part of the issue because it's, like, at what point will they branch off and just make a new language, well, who who's making the new language though? Like our studio. Oh well, how does how does that help? I guess. 
Because wouldn't that just mean it would be like everything's preloaded into quote unquote base R? Oh, I see. So that it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be like a dependency, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. And so it would take a little longer, I guess, to install it the first time, but then everything would be a base function. Yeah. And then you wouldn't have to load anything. I guess. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I suppose. I mean, again, I'm not even, I'm just repeating the concern that it's like not necessarily mine. Although I'm like, this conversation even is making me be like, oh yeah, that would solve that problem. Like, hmm, maybe that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want, I don't want them to decouple either. So no, yeah, it's, um, it would be a little problematic. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I've never had this feeling before. It's weird because I've written packages in the past, but I've never been like, oh, I've never been hesitant to like import another package, right? Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. I don't know what's changed inside of me. You know, it's like, I don't know. Probably just the amount of time. I get it because I'm having the same experience where, and then I was like, I don't want to import all the tidyverse packages. Like I, when I was rewriting code with this constraint of like the pipeline takes longer and longer to run, all of a sudden I was like, what's the bare minimum that I can load? And, um like install and load because I, I would have to say in the config I'd be like install these packages and so I at first I was just like I kind of have my like list of things that I'm just like well I'll just throw these in whatever and so then I was like ooh, let me take out anything I'm not explicitly using and so then I teased apart tidyverse to just what I needed although then it turned out it was everything like right it's yeah. like <laughs> oh yeah that's in the tidier versus dplyr versus yeah so it didn't end up helping all that much (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i get it i definitely get it it is a it is a complicated feeling i do think like the soft like the software kind of i guess industry is the word um does kind of go back and forth i think between saying like let's just have this monolithic blob of code right that you just run or let's have like a small piece of code that depends on all these like libraries right right and I think like the Unix way was very much like let's have a bunch of libraries and then you everything's kind of modular, right? Um, and now like with like you know like apps like phone apps for example are just these blobs of code, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, interesting. Like there's no like live. I mean, they do depend on the operating system, obviously. But like you know, if f- five different phone apps use the same library, then like each app just includes it, you know, mm-hmm, <laughs> independently, mm-hmm. right? So you just have to install it on your phone five times, right? So And so you have five different teams that if the app updates and there's a breaking change, there's like five teams that have to deal with it. If the, yeah, if the like library changes, yeah. 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 Well, I'm assuming that these are not teams, there's like different companies, right? Like, so if like, like the Facebook well, yeah, app yeah. has some library, then like the, whatever, the Instagram app has a different library, you know, it's like, anyway, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't the same company. That was a bad example. But <laughs> Well, no, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. They're all the same anyway. Right, yeah. Like, yeah. That's actually a, a total tangent. But do you use WhatsApp at all? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Because I was like, oh, I'm deleting Facebook, which I've totally stalled out on. But I want to I wanna finish that. And um, But I realized I'm like, oh, I use WhatsApp and that, like, I can't totally sever ties. There's no escape. Yeah. Yeah. There's no escape. (laughs) Like, I'm fine. I'm going to delete Instagram. Like, that's not a problem for me. In fact, that's a relief, frankly. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, go on. Sorry. So I guess my, I was wondering if like the, if there's like a little microcosm here in the R world that's going to kind of like maybe switch 
I don't know how this would work. Like, I feel like the R community in general has always has like encouraged and emphasized like separating things out into packages and like calling them and not you know not like re um, you know re implementing something that of course there like there was always like five packages that do that. They, you know, there's plenty of packages that are redundant, right? But um, which is not a problem. But it's like the idea is. That, in general, I think the philosophy is like don't rewrite something if you don't have to. Just like you know, call a package or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder if that will. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say because it's not like the R community is one thing, right? So. Well, yeah, and again, I think this is where I mean the person I'm thinking about is Gabe Becker, who has thought a lot about this and kind of the perils of, you know, the way that this situation has evolved and so i think he was always like oh you have to make changes to base r otherwise the community will fracture um and so i mean i'm just it's like giving me a new appreciation for what he was talking about because it's like oh yeah i totally see how that's starting to happen like where for for many people again these might just all be new people like people who are making but like by having a really ambitious project where it's like let's create a dsl within r and it's like a highly specific you know paradigm um that was in some ways creating a new language right yeah and so at what point does that get codified yeah i I mean yeah it doesn't really address the issue head on though, right? Because it's not just the tidyverse that I'm talking about, right? Like I'm talking about just all packages, right? Because there's this, there's like a million, not a million. Let me see. There's like I don't know, easily fifteen thousand packages on Cran or something like that, right? Uh, of which the tidyverse is just a small subset, right? So, um, you know, the idea that you might be depending on f- ten, you know, fifteen packages in your package is not out of. It's like that's the norm practically, right? Right. Yeah. So I I don't know if that like the idea of like separating off the tidyverse into its own thing that doesn't really change anything in the sense. No, that, it like, doesn't change anything. Yeah. I just think the I think probably the issue that you know Gabe and others see is that the project's been so ambitious that like there's not really many equivalents of something that was essentially rebuilding. Like, if assuming the other more and more people write packages to buy into the tidyverse paradigm, where it's like, oh, this tidy quant or tidy time series or whatever, then it does become like it. I think you're right that it doesn't address the underlying issue, but it's just that the scale of it is so big at this point that yeah. it's like a, it, it is the natural conclusion of that. And probably for the most part, I mean, it's just kind of funny because it's like what so sh- people shouldn't have been coordinating. Like, it, it's kind of like an odd problem. But I think that, um, I mean, I think that the the idea from the people who wanted R in our studio not to stray as much was that there were specific choices, like with the non-standard evaluation, that did make the stray faster and like if if you gone a little slower but like made compromises with base r like maybe that wouldn't have like strayed so much but i don't know yeah yeah i guess i mean i think what you're saying it's a little bit like when we think about operating systems now like like what is an operating system now it's not like back in who knows when it was like this little kernel of a program right but now we like all these libraries that come with the operating system we just assumed like that's part of the operating system right um and I think so, like, at some point, like, it'll just become, like, all these things are just part of R, right? Well, and that's, and then I think that's the argument, too, is that because so many people are entering R through our studio, 
these things are the same. Right. Yeah. In their in many people's minds, these are like one. They're they're co- they're totally coincident, right? Like exactly. Um, and yeah. so it again, it does seem like at some point. Right now, it's just like goodwill, like like why not fracture off? And it's like, oh, we want to stay plugged into R, but it's like at some point, it's like, well, why? Like, like it it, it doesn't necessarily make sense not to fracture off. Yeah, I guess the the, the community. The, I guess the question is like, what would happen to the community? Would it if the community divides, right? Then it like both both are left with the smaller community, right? Well, it, yeah, and that's again the concern from. Yeah, it's like, oh, wait, who's going to be left in, like, the R world? And, like, was this a hostile takeover of right. Face R? <laughs> like, that's really what it comes down to. And, like, I can't exactly say no. Like, I like it does seem like, you know, there was a frustration with Base R. Um, and so that's – but, yeah, I don't know. It's like there is – they were legit concerns that were unaddressed. So it's not like that wasn't warranted. You know, it's, it's just like, yeah, we're, it's yeah. like Lord of the Flies out there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how did we jump to Lord of the Flies? Like, where did... <laughs> That's just become my catch-all phrase for, like, competitive environments at this point. Like, I see. Just, okay. Yeah, it's like, at some point, like, there is, you, you can act like there's not competition, but there is at some point. And so, yeah. Yeah, and, like, people try to play nice, but we can't just, like, will away competition, you know, mm-hmm. so. I guess my strategy is not going to work then. What's your strategy? To will away competition. Oh, yeah. No, it's like, yeah. I mean, it's just a question of, so you you want to keep the divide from happening, so you don't want to alienate people. Who... I didn't say I didn't say that. I just said... I just said that there are potential downsides, but I didn't say that. I mean, who am I to say anything at this point, right? Yeah. So, and you see the downside is like people who aren't as plugged in, it's going to be like a super bloated package for them. You're talking about, wait, what are you talking about now? Back to the original thing, you know, this package that you're rewriting and you wanted to use like Tibble and then it caused you pause. Like who were you thinking? Were you thinking about the users who didn't have like... Tidyverse installed. I don't know. You know, I was. I don't know what I was thinking about. Perfectly honest. Like, I just think for some reason. I think part of it is like, yeah, I'm thinking about people who are going to have to install this, and then they're going to have like thirty dependencies installed, and they're going to wonder why am I installing all these packages to run this one thing? But maybe they won't wonder. Maybe they don't care, right? So. So you're just like you're. You feel like you're imposing on them. Well, that's part of it. The other part is more just me at like a philosophical level. It's like. All I needed was one function, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, why do I have to yeah. import? And this is like... a concern that's heavily shared, you know what I mean? Like, this <laughs> is, yeah, like, it's not, you're not alone in that. And I don't know why it is, because, like, I think, I don't know, I don't understand, I don't know pandas enough, I've just heard, like, the chatter, you know, but it's like, my understanding was that pandas was essentially equivalent to tidyverse, not equivalent to like dplyr, you know. Right. Even though dplyr, the functions that you know from pandas and the functions you know from dplyr seem like the core part of the tidyverse, like. But I don't. But I do think I. I feel like the last time I like loosely tuned into this, it was like I mean yeah, and I've imported pandas and it's faster. I I don't know. I I don't know if pandas like 
faster to install for whatever reason or there is more base python in there like i i don't know i don't know yeah i don't know either i to me it feels like comparing apples and oranges but um yeah i guess what what the caveat i would say to what i said is that like just because you're using one function doesn't mean you're actually just using one function right like, I mean, well yeah because like, it's like ui code it's not well also it's like if i call the tibble function right like i'm also using the print method you know i'm also using mm -hmm. like there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that like i'm not explicitly calling but i am using that's what i mean by ui code it's like it it's not it's like it's like a wrapper it's like a pretty usable wrapper around the actual stuff right right yeah. right mm -hmm. so anyway so maybe a little unfair but i think um anyway that like i said i don't know what the point was <laughs> no but. no it's like a i yeah i feel like i'm glad to start articulating this out loud and and it is like there's I you're so much more of someone who really understands the fundamentals of the language of all languages. Like you're more you you understand like computers, I don't know, <laughs> languages and how they work like more than me. And so this is it's funny because this is an area where I'm skating along the concepts and don't totally understand deep down what's happening. Mm hmm. And so I really am thinking about from like a usability perspective only. Yeah. So it's it's kind of, it's funny because it's, it's starting me to think about like where are the deficiencies in my understanding. And if I wanted to like really wrap my head around this problem, like I would need to learn more about this and that. And like, right. you know, like understand, I think a key thing for me would to be to understand the difference between pandas and tidyverse and like, what is it, what conceptually is different about these packages that make the concern come up in one and not the other. Um, and my hunch is that it has to do with the underlying base language mm -hmm. some way. Yeah. yeah. But I, one thing that you raised though, which I think is, is, is important is that like, I think the, if the use case, like if you think about like going from a computer to a phone, right? Like that's a huge change in like the use case for software. Right. Uh, and therefore it demands like massive changes. kind of like how we build software, et cetera. Right. Um, I think in your case, like you described like, well, you're, you're gonna have to like, you spin up this Docker container to do whatever testing, right? Um, and that's a pretty big change in the use case for R, I think, because like most, I think the the general assumption with R is that it's installed on your computer, you install the tidyverse once, and then like it's done, right? Like you never have to install it again, or maybe you have to upgrade it, but you know, and so you just, and then you just call library and it's there, right? Yeah, right. There's right. no understanding of a use case where it's like you have to reinstall the system every single time right yeah exactly yeah and i also saying that out loud i'm like wait how is it that they're pre-installing stuff but then i'm spinning the stuff up like it, it still is confused i'm like how is this going to save me time i actually don't understand the mechanism <laughs> by which that'll happen because aren't they installing all of our so i don't know if there's like pre-deployed containers that are just sitting waiting to get like called by us like I, I don't totally i don't i still don't totally get it but well you're way ahead of me I, I don't use docker at all so i'm just like yeah well i don't either i just know like the three or four wrappers around docker that are like <laughs> what i use within <laughs> like i yeah i'm like i'm like docker isn't it called flotilla but i'm like no 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 flotillas are in like internal name for no. like... <laughs> <laughs> so it's like yeah and again, because I'm just not interested in that, I'm not like really diving into it, but that's the, should I be independent and like have like all my, in my free time, like spun up containers, like an AWS. And it's like, 
at some point you just have to be uh, like comfortable only understanding the surface level for like some yeah. things in life yeah totally yeah you can't totally yeah. comfortable with that understanding the like mechanisms of the environment you know so i mean i had a similar experience because like i was at some point i had to like use some remote servers and so like you know every time i i you know spun up a server i had to install the whole tidyverse etc and it was like a pain and also in on, in on linux you know depending on what distribution of linux you know you have to kind of build it from source um which takes like way longer obviously i mean but don't you have to install r like to like you have to install r and the tidyverse right yeah so it's like this this is why I'm like caught up because like the solution of them creating their own language that's like R plus or something, like won't actually. It's just like it'll just make it longer to load R plus. Like it's just moving where that work happens. Yeah, uh, yeah, possibly. I guess there could be some like if they like right now if you spin up like a Linux server. Um, and you want to install R, like the, all the pa- all the major like package managers have it pre-built, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you just like hit, you know, apt-get or whatever R, and um, and it just shows up, right? Okay, I see. So there's some so there's some way with like by which the mechanism of installing base R is would be fundamentally faster, even if you're installing, even if the end result is installing all the tidyverse if you were doing it via like apt get blah 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 like r plus it's still faster yeah i think the only advantage it's like you would not be installing less code right it would just be that like because it was stated to be part of base r right it could be like pre-built and you know it'd be on the same release schedule and that's what like the concept of compiling or building something is so foreign to me i'm like magic happen like i like i don't really understand what that means <laughs> and that's again where i'm like i guess i could learn that if i really wanted to understand this let me <laughs> let me prioritize that against watching lady dynamite no uh, no, no i was gonna say i would not prioritize it <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man but that's i realize that's something i've never understood like yeah it's uh it's foreign it's very foreign <laughs> I'd say it's one of those computer science classes I took in college that I really actually used at the end of the day. Yeah, I know. It's like I, I do wish I had taken more computer science classes. Like that's what it comes down to. Is <laughs> there's so many times like this with fundamental computer science things where I'm like, gee, like what's that mean? You know, but then I also think there's pros to the path I came from, you know, like kind of analysis application first. Right. Yeah. You're you're doing fine. I think you're okay. I'm doing fine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not not insecure about this. But I do know there's probably people out there who are like, "What? How can she not understand that?" You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, but they don't understand other things. So it's, yeah, uh... exactly. I don't, I don't <laughs> care at all. It's um, I'm comfortable. I did mention Lady Dynamite though, and I just yes. want to give a plug for how funny that is. Let's do it. Oh my god, it's so weird and hilarious I, I tweeted out some photos that there's like it's all about this woman who's like yeah like like a someone who's like Mar- maria bamford she's a comedian she's been really open about having bipolar 2 and from the show you can tell she's like heavily codependent so like she's just like a huge people pleaser who like loses sight of what she wants and she's in Hollywood, so there's a lot of really aggressive personalities all around her. Uh-huh. And so it's, like, chronicling her trying to navigate this space where it's, like... So she has one agent 
or like man i think an agent manager it's like that's such a joke it's like what's the difference i don't know but um she has one who's like who's like a wreck and he's it's like she's his only client and he can't afford anything and he like gets so upset at the thought of her like anytime she like she says something that suggests he's quitting like one time he just like handed her a knife and like put his head on the desk and was like make it swift like (laughs) (laughs) and he's like not being manipulative he like genuine and so then she's like trying to take care of him you know (laughs) like right and so and then and then she also meets this like like the whole thing is chronicling like she got with this super aggressive agent who is just like pushing her and like just like a total bulldozer and so there was this moment where i laughed so hard where she was just like if you want to take this opportunity like you know she was like wearing like buddhist robes she's like just like i wear these robes i need you to wear an expression of your power like a business robe, if you will, the lady blazer, <laughs> and like, and then this like lady blazer like comes out. Like, it's just like I don't know why I laugh so hard because like I mean part of the reason I laugh so hard was because I literally just bought. I mean I had to look because I was like, is that literally the exact blazer I bought? They just <laughs> like it looked exactly the same. Like I tweeted out photos and it's like it's not just like oh those are similar. It's like the buttons the same, the pockets are the same. Like it's like the same blazer, right? And then it's true that, like, I, I worked with a stylist. I had, like, I hired a stylist to, like, come to my home and, like, go through, you know, and I was like, here's who I want to be professionally. Here's, you know, where I'm at. Here's my closet. And, like, one of the first things she said was, like, wearing blazers more. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, like, went in. I was like, let me buy blazers. Like, I want to look like some of the lady blazers. So it's just was, like, I, like, literally had that experience. <laughs> wow. I know. It's just like, it's so funny. And it's such a funny show, but it's so weird. That, that's the thing, too. You have to be ready for it to be weird. Okay. And, um, and then the other thing I'll say is that the pilot is, like, really weird. Like, I like I would, I didn't love the pilot. And then, but then when you got, like, more and more into the show, it got better. And then the second season is just, like, hilarious. So. All right. So you got to push past the, the pilot. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> your 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 weekly netflix recommendation yeah this is like if you want to have something really weird but hilarious go for it <laughs>